Hi, everyone. I'm Scott Branley. And I'm Alicia Coakley. Every member of the church has a story to share, one that can instill faith, invite growth, and inspire others. On today's episode, we're going to hear how one man's near-death experience helped him to discover God's love for each and every one of us. Welcome to Latter-day Lights. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Latter-day Lights. We're so glad that you're here with us today. We're really excited to introduce our guest today, Jerry Paskett. Jerry, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Very well, thank you. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So Jerry, you have to tell our listeners how you were invited to be on the show, because I just love this. I love this little story. <laughs> yeah, that was a fun story. I had never heard of Latter-day Lights, and um, I had spoken in a uh, a young single adults ward. And as I was getting ready to leave the chapel, this little, I, I referred to her as a little blonde tornado because she just came rushing yeah. in on me and she was talking really, really fast. And she says, my dad has this podcast and I think that'd be really good. And I think you need to come on and <laughs> didn't register with me what she had said. And I says, now what, what did you say? And she says, my dad has this podcast and you're great. And I think it'd be really, really good. Can you come on? And I said, no, okay. I, uh, give me a little bit more information. What do I do? And she says, give me your name and your phone number, but you'll have to spell your last name because I don't spell very well. And I gave her <laughs> the name and phone number. And just as quickly as she was there, bam, she was gone. Um, <laughs> and that was Scott's daughter. I came to find out it was Scott's daughter that had come up. And yep. Spoke and, uh, yep. Yep. My future daughter-in-law. Maybe. I already have, really? I already okay. have her wedded off to my son, Jack. Yep. <laughs> And does she know this? Oh, they all know it. They're all yeah. fighting it, but they all know it. I'm like, oh. whatever, it's going to happen. I've already, I've already saved up the cows and all of the things that I'm going to give to Scott. We're good. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're going to build the dowry, are you? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Funny. Oh, awesome. All right, I'll put him in my backyard. We're good to go. There you go. You have enough yeah, space. She's It'll really work. Cute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she is. She's adorable. Yeah. We love Grace. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Jerry, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Um, I have been self-employed for the last 25 years. I own and operate an automotive repair facility, um, have 11 employees, and have done had a, a great life as a, as a part of that. Uh, what we like to do, my wife Shannon and I, for fun, is uh, we're heavily entrenched in the motorcycle world and We've toured all over the United States on, on motorcycles, rain, snow, sleet, uh, a little bit of everything. Um, have you been we to Sturgis? Don't, I have been to Sturgis, and once was enough. That is a world unto its own. Okay. Uh, you really have to have an open mind because anything that you can imagine happens in Sturgis. So, But it's fun. There's a, some amazing, amazing country to ride and some amazing motorcycles. Awesome. So. But I'm yeah, have we, to look this up. I don't know what that is. So you don't know what Sturgis is. I don't know what have Sturgis you lived is. Under a rock your whole life, Alicia. Come Apparently, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Sturgis is a huge motorcycle rally in Sturgis, South oh. Dakota. Oh, okay, and, uh, very cool. Yeah, you need to look All that right. up, and uh, it brushes on every side of life that there is. So really, yeah. All right, I'll do some research. Uh, yeah. 
Awesome. So um, that's one thing that we really, really enjoy doing together. Shannon is an amazing rider. She rides her own bike. And, uh, yeah, I fought that for a long time because I felt a lot more comfortable with her behind me, but she just really wanted to get out there on her own. And so, and we have a great time. Um, we're also deeply involved in search and rescue with, uh, with dogs. We have three shepherds and, uh, we do search and rescue and, uh, human remains rescue with, with the dogs. And Shannon's really deeply engrossed in that. I'm just kind of dabbling in it right now, trying to find the time to do it but that's a lot of fun too um wow. to do that to and see the rewarding those i bet too you know yeah yeah it wow. really is um sometimes it can be a little sad but rewarding at the same time so mm-hmm. and if you're an animal lover it's a great way to spend time with your animals wow awesome. so we have uh, six children between the two of us two two marriages and six children and uh nine grandchildren so wow. very so cool fun. that's me in a very short page <laughs> well, why don't you tell us about your story, Jerry? Well, um, my story is, in my view, is relatively short. Uh, I had up to the point where this all began, I had lived, you know, what I thought was a pretty normal life, just, you know, regular, very, very blessed American who lived in a great country and a great state and had a great family. And, and then things kind of turned around a little bit for us. It started in uh, November of 2021, I started getting uh, flu-like symptoms and difficulty breathing, the fever, and uh, it just ramped up and it kept getting worse and worse. And uh, I felt like I knew that I had COVID. I had listened to others who experienced it. I'd had some customers who'd had really, really challenging experiences with COVID and everything I was experiencing was what they had described. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that I had heard was, you know, don't you don't necessarily need to run right to the hospital. Just let it run its course. Well, I'd never spent a day of my life in in the hospital, and I thought I could work my way through anything. I'm only six foot two, but I thought I was eight foot tall and absolutely 100 <laughs> bulletproof, and I would work my way through it. And I just continued continued to decline. And so on the 16th of November, my family finally um, admitted me into uh, the hospital at Ogden Regional in Ogden, Utah. And they uh, immediately put me on oxygen and ushered me into the COVID wing of the hospital. That was on uh, the 16th of November. By the 21st of November, I had declined significantly. I just kept getting worse and worse. And so they took me out of the COVID wing and put me into the intensive care. And uh, okay got worse, just kept getting worse. The oxygen saturation levels in my lungs just kept declining. They had to give me more and more oxygen all the time. And uh, by that time I was on full face mask. I wasn't even on the nose cannula. It was a full face mask with as much oxygen as they could give me. And uh, I just continued. Were you you conscious during this time? I was, yeah, I was conscious. I was aware, but very, very sick. Um, were you scared at all or just kind of annoyed at being sick? At that point, I was still annoyed. I was like, Mm -hmm. this Jerry, this just isn't you. Why are you so sick? You normally fight your way through this. I told my kids when they put me in the hospital, I says, don't worry about this. I'm going to be out of here in a day or two. 
You just yeah. need to, to get some rest and rebound. And I continued to, to decline. And so, yes, I was conscious. I, rem I remember a few of the conversations that I had with doctors. They were trying to encourage me very early on to get on a ventilator, and I didn't want to do that. I was very resistant. Mm -hmm. So by the time the, the 21st came around, I was getting more and more sick. And finally, around the 24th of November, the day before Thanksgiving, when one of the doctors came in and and he says, look, you're as bad as you can get without going on a ventilator, but we have to have your consent. Mm. And so at that point, I I don't want to say that I gave up, but I just told him, doctor, I have to trust your judgment. I don't want to do this, but I have to trust your judgment. Mm -hmm. So then at the on the 26th of November, the day after Thanksgiving of that year, they... Uh, they put me in a medically induced coma and, and put me on a uh, ventilator. So, do you remember that moment, like when you went out? I don't. I remember having the conversation with them, and then they just, when the decision was reached, they waited till after Thanksgiving so that Shannon could come in and spend some time with me on that day. That was when we were full blown COVID, you know, limited visitation, limited stays. Mm -hmm. So they gave her an hour on Thanksgiving and, and then the next day they just put me under. And I don't remember at that point, I had already given consent. They just made the decision to put me under and, and then put me on the ventilator and the ventilator, you know, that does a hundred percent breathing for you. That's the tube that goes right down your, right, right down your throat and into your lungs and, because right. um, I, hit, at that point, was getting to the point where I couldn't breathe at all on my own. Okay. Oh. So jumping forward, you know, a few days, we're, we're at the 26th of November here. I just continued to decline. Just got worse and worse. And then it started to, started to enter into the phase where I was starting to have, you know, multiple systems failure. 100% lung failure kidney failure. I was retaining a ton of water, seeing pictures of it. And I looked like, you know, just a bloated balloon and they would have to come mm -hmm. in and do kidney dialysis to draw, draw the, the, the water off. And, uh, I just got worse and worse and worse. So without going into all those, you know, physical uh, failures that I was going through, let's kind of fast forward a little bit to the 12th of December. The 12th of December is where I kind of hit rock bottom. And okay. that's when the doctor came in and told Shannon, you know, we need you to make some end of life decisions. Uh, one of those being a, a do not resuscitate so that if I did go into to cardiac arrest or go into failure that, you know, how far did they want to go? Mm -hmm. And I didn't know this at the time, you know, you see, when watching TV or whatever uh, medium you're you're looking at, you see CPR is done all the time. You know, chest compressions and breathing, everything. The doctor says in reality that's not how it is. It it ends up being broken ribs, several broken ribs, and a lot of pain. And a lot of times it doesn't work. And so, I don't want to say that they encouraged her to sign a DNR, mm -hmm. 
but they wanted her to know that if she didn't sign a DNR, what I was going to be up against. And that was a really, really big struggle for her. Wow. But anyway, that's the kind of conversations that were, were happening on December 12th. Um, it had just declined to that point. Um, so what the doctor did at that point is he encouraged her to uh, call in family. And, you know, they were going to say, you know, have that really, really challenging discussion. He just didn't feel like there was anything left. I had 0% lung capacity, 100% breathing by the machine. I had blood clots in my lungs. They had given me so much oxygen through this time period that I had multiple holes in my lungs. And then, as I mentioned, I had, uh, I had kidney failure going on, uh, heart arrhythmia going on. So then we go to the 13th. The family is called in. Everybody rushes from all points of the West and, and come in. And the doctor comes in and he has, from what I've gathered from my family, he has a very, that very, very challenging conversation with them where he talks about end-of-life processes and what the hospital will do and the meds that they can put me on, comfort drugs is what they call them. Mm-hmm. And once the machine is turned off, what the process is from there. And, you know, the family is, is listening to all that and trying to process this and wondering what in the world has happened to, to Jerry. So, mm-hmm. right. so that was on the 13th. So then we go to the 14th and uh, I want to talk about the 14th for a little bit. And my family refers to that as Death Tuesday. The reason that is, is because we, I don't want to sound too confident, but I'm going to say very confidently, the spirit left the body on that day. And there were multiple experiences through the family. And if you're okay with that, I would like to share some of those experiences. Um, because everything was surrounded by, by the, the 14th of December. And uh, is that is that okay that we go ahead oh, forward with please that? Please do, yeah, yeah. So let me just start by sharing um, some of these experiences. My brother-in-law Rick, he's a transport driver. He drives truck. He was out at work driving, and for some reason, he just decided or felt the prompting to look at the clock and find that it was at twelve thirty. And he remembers clearly it was at twelve thirty. That night, when he gets home, he tells my sister. At 12.30 today, I looked at the clock, and I want you to know that Jerry wasn't with us. He's not dead, but he wasn't with us. That morning, Brenda, my son Ryan, my daughter Mandy, my brother Doug, and Doug's wife Paige were at the hospital and were taking turns coming in and seeing me in the ICU. And they talk about and describe how there was a different feel, a different look, and a different smell in the room. Wow. And they knew that the spirit was in the body. That at that time I was being kept alive by a machine. They gathered in the, uh, in the room there that they had allowed the family to gather in. And Doug said to them, I just want to go talk to my brother. And he came into the room alone. And... He says, brother, I need you to talk to me. I need you to tell me what you want us to do. 
clarified to me that he knew that that this wasn't a decision that he could make or that the extended family could make regarding end of life. But he wanted to let me know that they needed to know whether to keep holding on. That they needed to know whether to continue to pray for me to to be saved or to to release me to move on. And there's such an amazing lesson in this for me because, again, all he said to me is, brother, I need you to talk to me. What do you want us to do? And then he did the one thing that we so often fail to do, and that is he just listened. He turned to the window and he just listened for an answer. Within a few minutes, one of the amazing nurses that had been taking care of me came in and walked to him, walked up to him and said, you don't have to make this decision today. Give it a few days. And he didn't give it much thought, but then the very same doctor that met with them the day before came in the room and said to him, give him a few days. Oh, my goodness. And then as Doug stood there, he heard a voice so clearly in his mind say, now you have your answer. That out loud, he said, what? And then he heard the same voice again. Now you have your answer. Oh, my goodness. So he went out and he told the family, Jerry needs us to give him a few more days. The story with Doug and Paige continues because they live in Montana. They left the hospital that day. And as they were driving home, Doug talks about, well, I mentioned a few minutes ago, there was a different feel, a different look, and a different smell in the room. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Doug, Doug talks about on the way home that that smell went with him and that he could identify that smell on the way home. But once they got home, Doug was sitting at the table in their kitchen and Paige was sorting through the mail. And as she sorted through the mail, one of the pieces of mail fell to the floor. She reached down and just as she went to pick it up off the, off the floor, the entire pile of mail fell at her feet. At first she started laughing and then she started sobbing, uncontrollably sobbing because she heard a voice that says, I didn't want you to feel left out. The significance of that is that if you understood the dynamics of the relationship my sister and I and, and I have had over the last 30 years, that is exactly what I would have done. Had she been there, I would have brushed something off at her feet. So <laughs> just a just a jokester with her. Yes, that's just wow. the relationship we have. But I told her I didn't want her to feel left out. And she is absolutely <laughs> busy. So that was my spirit reaching out to her. Um, moving on. Um, one of my employees, and you understand I run an automotive shop, and sometimes my technicians 
can create rather colorful words in their line of work. <laughs> and they're not always PG rated. But I've got one technician that is incredibly in tune with the spirit. And on the 14th, uh, 14th of November, and that afternoon as he was working away, he heard a voice tell him, tell Brenda that Jerry is very frustrated. He needs a little more time and that he loves her. So as soon as Brenda got to, Brenda works for me consequently, but by, when she got stopped in at the shop that afternoon, he was able to relay that message to her. It's all on the same day. Wow. Right. And then when Nate goes home that night, he's talking to his wife and he said, Jerry's not doing very well today. I don't know if he's going to make it. His wife proceeds to tell him about a dream that she had had that morning about where she had seen me laying in bed and saw the angels of death approaching my body, and she pleaded not to take me. And the angels of death left. Wow. My son, Ryan. Ryan has had a few brushes with the spirit in his life, but not a lot. He doesn't recognize it. You know, the more we interact with the spirit of our Heavenly Father, the more we recognize the blessings that come from that and the feeling and I know you're both very aware of that, of what I'm talking about. He hasn't had those kind of experiences. But on the 14th, he had the feeling that I was gone. But for two days, he felt my presence following him everywhere that he went. And that very same smell that I talked about, that smell followed him also. And so he was able to interact with the spirit that way. My son Forrest, very, very strong, very, very strong testimony. Let me back up a little bit and talk about Shannon, my wife Shannon. Shannon is the kind of woman that if you're going into war, you want her on your side. You do not want to be looking across the battlefield and seeing her. <laughs> you want her next to you. And she was the same way when it came to my medical care. She was a tenacious fighter with the medical community, um, making sure that I was getting the very, very best care because she was so focused on making sure that I was taken care of. I think that it somehow prevented her from being able to feel the presence of our Heavenly Father a little bit. But because of that, my son Forrest was able to feel that role. For example, he was able to give her an incredibly powerful blessing on that day and share with her the experience where he had actually, I prefer to call it a vision, you can call it a dream, but he had seen me not as I was, but he had seen me as I would become and that I had survived what we were going through as a family at that time. Wow. So the Lord used Forrest to support Shannon. And he was very soft. He was very kind. He was very gentle with her and very spiritual with her in helping her get through that. Um, and then as far as my own experience goes, and I, I, I guard this experience, but 
in that period of time. Well, let, me, let me clarify by saying, because I was in a coma, I obviously had no concept of time. I had, right. I couldn't tell you what day it was. All I know is that I know that what I'm going to share with you did indeed happen. Okay. And I found myself, I found myself in a corridor where I was looking, could either look to the left or the right. And to my right, to my right was the veil, passes from this life to the next. An amazing feeling, amazing spirit came over me. A magnetic pull, a desire to feel that. I felt the presence of friends and family. I did not see spirits, but I know I know that my grandfather was there waiting for me, along with other family members. And guys, the, the feeling that our Heavenly Father's spirit brings to us was so strong, so powerful, and so clear to me. I knew where I was. I knew what I was doing. I... I've been asked the question, how did I see myself? I was a grown adult man, very capable of making decisions, very, very firm in, in where I was and what I was experiencing. There was no question. But then as I looked over my left shoulder, I could see hundreds of people that were praying for me and pulling for me. And asking me to come back, it wasn't my time to move on to the next chapter of my existence. And I clearly remember, I clearly remember making the decision to come back. Um, it wasn't an easy decision. I wanted so badly to go towards that light. but. I chose not to. And why why I was given that choice, I don't know. I don't know if everybody has a choice. I just know that I did. I had that choice. And that's an important element in this story and this experience. Because um, it it played a big, big part on my recovery, and I'll tell you why when we get to that point. Okay. So, I, I, again, I don't know the time. I don't know. I don't, had no concept of time. I don't know if that was the 14th, but I'm quite certain that it was. There were too many things that happened. You get this many experiences with this many people all tied into a specific time frame. <laughs> I don't know how it could be anything but. Right. And at the end of the day, to me, it doesn't matter. I know what happened, and I'm so blessed and grateful for the things that happened to others and what they felt and experienced. Yeah. Um, so moving on. That was all on the 14th. We think that within a two-day period of time, the spirit had entered the body again. 
But the amazing thing is, is on the 12th, the doctors are saying he's not going to make it. On the 12th of December, I'd gone from a 15% chance of survival to a 3% chance of survival. On the 17th, I was doing, I had started breathing again. I had 50% lung capacity. By the 20th, they had pulled the ventilator out, done a tracheotomy and put a trach in my throat. And, uh, had started to take me off of off the propofol, which was keeping me in a, a coma state. And they hadn't changed could... anything medically, like in this time period. Like they just, you just started making your own improvements. I just started Which... making my own improvements. Wow. Um, honestly, Alicia, from what I've gathered from the information that's been shared with me, I think the I think that the medical community didn't think I was going to make it. Yeah, it sounds um, like it. So, so you probably shocked everybody at that point, right? I mean, they had pretty much decided that you were a lost cause, and you all of a sudden turned it around. I I did turn it around. I I've never considered myself to be a fighter, but there were people in the medical community that that made comments about how they could tell, even though I was in a coma, that I was just fighting, fighting for survival. Wow. To, to be able to make it, I don't know. I'm I'm just me. I just do my thing, you know. <laughs> so, but you know, whatever whatever reason, by the 17th I'd started to improve. By the 20th, I was off of that ventilator, and you know, and had had the trach, but still, it was better than having that big tube down my throat. I was starting to regain consciousness a little bit. Right. Do you remember so, but, regaining consciousness? Not at that point. No, no, I was, I had been on, um, the way it was explained to me, I'd been on the propofol for so long that it had gone into the tissues, muscle tissues, and they just had to wait for it to come out of the tissues. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I was off the propofol for quite a while, but it was, took two to three weeks for me to start regaining consciousness. Wow. So I'll talk a little bit about that, though, because that's an intriguing story. And I say that cautiously because what's intriguing to me might not be intriguing to you, you know. Um, well, but we're roped in. I can tell you. You're right roped in. <laughs> we're <Yeah>. roped in. <laughs> like I have well, all these thoughts, but I don't want to interrupt either because I just like want to hear more. So, well, yeah. no, please ask. Please ask this. whatever you well, want to ask. Um, I, I do have one question because um, sure. it just it, it makes such uh, it made such an impact for me. Um, just with you saying that you, you had that choice, you know, Mm -hmm. and when you were sharing how you looked over to the left and, um, you just saw hundreds and hundreds of people praying for you, you know, um, now I don't know how big your social circle is or your family is or anything like that. But that's a lot when you think of hundreds of people praying for you. And I couldn't help but think of, you know, how we submit names to the temples, right? And I almost wonder if part of that was, I'm sure that many people submitted your name to the temple during that period. And if that maybe had anything to do with some of the temple patrons that were going, you know, to me, it just feels super, super powerful. But I, um, I love that you were able to kind of see both sides, you know, like you were able to see that there was so much faith and so much 
prayer happening on your behalf for you to be able to stay and to make it through. But there was also a a piece that came with choosing to cross over. Um, I, when I lost my brother, that was one of the things that happened to me um, the night that he passed away is I had this uh, really really powerful experience. Um, and I was told that my brother had the choice, you know, and he like, like you, you know, he was this big alpha male, right? Like he just, he was, he was actually a diesel mechanic too, (laughs) surprisingly. So you guys have a lot in common, but, um, yeah, I just, I felt very strongly that, that he had the choice and he didn't have a, he didn't necessarily have the choice to come back in a perfect body, you know, like he had been in, in a car accident. And so there was a lot of damage done. And, um, but I think that with his personality and everything like that, I personally feel like he had the choice to accept death or deny it in that moment. And he knew that coming back, it, he would not be the same physically, you know, that, that there would just be too much and he wouldn't want to be like a burden on his family. He wouldn't want to be the type of person who needed to be taken care of. Um, and I, I know that that's been like a big um, disconnect between some of my family members and I is that some of them just truly believe like he would never accept that. And so they just want to be angry with God, you know, and others believe that it was just, you know, God just took him and it was just his time and he was just gone, you know, but even then that kind of leaves that, that space for you to be angry with God. But my thought has been in the last couple of years that if Heavenly Father gave us a choice to have this life, right, to come to this, this earth and to experience a mortal existence, why wouldn't he give us the choice to go home? You know? And so I, I love that perspective. And I'm not, I don't know, guys, like, I don't know what's doctrine, what's not. Like you said, like, maybe not everybody gets the choice, or maybe we don't get it at the same time. You know, maybe it's something that we chose in the preexistence. Maybe it's something we chose while we were living on this earth. Like, if we chose to, to drink and drive, maybe that was our choice was to accept death, right? Um, but I love that perspective. So I guess it's not really a question. It's just a, just a comment on that, that I, I really appreciate you sharing that because that it's, it super affirms my testimony and, and kind of gives me a, um, like a second, you know, backing to my own experience that I had with my brother. Let me add this to that also. I, w- I would suggest you to be at peace with whatever your heart tells you. Mm-hmm. I would also tell you to be at peace, be at absolute peace with what, if he was given the choice, be at peace with the choice that he made. And I say that because I can't, I can't begin to tell you. I have tried and tried to come up with earthly words to describe the feeling of the spirit at that point in our existence and our journey. Mm-hmm. To me, it's indescribable. The feeling of our Heavenly Father's presence, what he has in store for us. There's times when I literally ache to have that feeling again. I've had it one time in my life, and that was at this experience, and I've never felt anything like it. The love, the peace, the calm, the magnetic pull to do what's right. Those all existed 
at that time as I looked to the veil. Was it like a physical, like like you physically felt like something was like pulling you towards, towards that or just like a longing? Yes and yes. <sighs> Spiritually, physical pull, I, I, a literal pulling of what I assume was my spirit. My body was mm -hmm. laying in a bed on a ventilator, being kept right. alive with life support. We know this, but yeah, it was a, it was a literal pull and a literal longing to to feel that and experience that. Wow. I'm not trying to exaggerate it. I'm not trying to make it bigger than it is. Right. Well, it doesn't feel that way when you. Explain no, it doesn't it. at all. Okay. How often do you do you think about that a lot now? Like, do you do you reflect on that moment in your life? Today? Every every single day, and I have found that if I start to fade away from it, I seek after it. Okay, I try to seek after it by reading good things, thinking good thoughts trying to remember and never allowing myself to question what I truly experienced. And oh. honestly, guys, on those dark days, and there have been a lot of dark days with, with this, as this, as the story continues, that that has been the one thing that's held me up is knowing what our Heavenly Father has in store for us. Okay. Wow. So, so if you start coming out of the out of the coma. It's ta it's a it takes a couple weeks. So where, where well, do we go from let's there? Let's start off at December twentieth. Then that's when they took the ventilator out. I spent the next okay. ten days in uh, intensive care, and then they moved me to a long term acute care center, which is what we know as a, a nursing home. Mm -hmm. And um, I was on the trach. I was on kidney dialysis. They were doing kidney dialysis four days a week. Uh, fighting the heart arrhythmia, um, and I was still unconscious. And then towards the middle of January of 2022, I started to regain consciousness a little bit at a time. And when I did wake up to the point where I could remember clearly, I, I woke up to a different challenge. I wasn't fighting the COVID no, any longer. I had gone from COVID to bacterial pneumonia to viral pneumonia and then I was starting to come come out of that and what I woke up to was a broken body. Muscle atrophy is is a terrible thing. You lay in a hospital bed that long and your body just completely shuts down. I couldn't walk. I couldn't speak. Um, I couldn't lift my hand up off the mattress. Couldn't scratch my own face. Uh, wow. And Jeez. so Coming, coming, regaining consciousness like that, it created a, a real sense of confusion for me. I, the confusion was really, really challenging. And I've tried to work out in my mind what, what works for me as far as trying to figure out that. And the only thing I can picture is, is I describe it as a thousand piece puzzle that's being thrown out on a table. You just throw a thousand pieces out on the table and somebody says do you put it together and then they walk away with the box top you have no idea what it even looks like that's what i felt like when i regained consciousness i had missed birthdays christmas new year's thanksgiving 
I'd missed all these things that I was so familiar with. I thought I'd been out two or three days. Mm-hmm. And little did I know that it had been two and a half months. Wow. So waking up to that confusion, waking up to a broken body like that. I remember laying there at night staring at the ceiling and I would. I made a very, very conscious choice at that time that. I could go one of two ways with what I had experienced. I could either play the why me game. I've always been strong. I've always been capable. I've always taken care of myself. I tried to do what was right. I've tried to stand in, stay in good favor with the God. Why me? Why me? I could play that game or I could choose to say, what am I going to do with this second chance? Because I knew I had made a choice. Right. And so that was my search. And that's the direction that I chose to go with was, what am I going to do with this? I love that. And, you know, yeah, I was over the COVID ending, but I had, I had a very, very long road to go with, with recovery. But at that point, I was in the, the long-term acute center for uh, almost a month. And then towards the end of February, I ended up pick, picking up a really bad infection. And uh, it was one of those kind of infections, you know, where they come in in full body suits, they're completely covered. They have, you have to gown up at the door and everything. And here I am just, hey, come on in, you know. I didn't realize that I was a big bug carrying specimen there. So oh, wow. but, um, they rushed me back to the emergency room there. And then I was back into ICU for another month. Or, I'm sorry, for another week. I was back in ICU trying to fight this virus. Oh, my gosh. So then finally, around the 1st of March is when the what I consider to be the true recovery started to take place. I was put on the uh, therapy floor at Ogden Regional Hospital. And there I was in intensive therapy where they take me in twice a day. And, and I look back with really sad memories, very painful memories, but very happy memories of just something as simple as being able to stand up between the two parallel bars and take my first two steps. Oh yeah. And you know, and they were so amazing to cheer you on and make you make you aware. And I had wonderful, wonderful care. And I had therapists that would come in and every time I even looked a little bit sad, they'd say, okay, let's remember where you were. Let's remember where you are. You know, a week ago you couldn't even walk and now you're taking 10, 12 steps. Or you're sitting on the exercise bike for for 12 minutes, that kind of thing. So, um, and then moving forward, I was released from from the therapy floor on the 6th of April. It had been 142 days in the hospital, and I I came home uh, 85 pounds lighter, and I came home able to walk with the help of a walker, but I was on full oxygen and. And the recovery had just continued on from there. So what, uh, when looking back on this, I oftentimes think to myself, am I sorry that I went through the experience that I did? I don't know. I don't know that I am sorry. Um, life happens. I, I learned a really valuable lesson one time from a customer that was standing across the counter and she came in and she said, she started to tell me that she had been diagnosed with cancer. 
Mm-hmm. And I says, gosh, I am so sorry to hear that. And she says, Jerry, life happens. Oh, except for she didn't say life. She said something that has to do with the southbound droppings of a northbound horse. Life happens. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? Yep. <laughs> life happens. Sometimes it's your turn. Sometimes it's mine. It just happens to be mine. Right. And that was 20 years ago, and I never forget that optimistic attitude that she had. And I've remembered that many, many times as I've gone through this recovery. Uh-huh. So. so I have to ask, do you – okay, we had a guest, Caden Laga, and if anyone – you know, hasn't listened to his show. It's his episode. It's, it's amazing. He, um, he talked about how his experience, he had gotten lost in the wilderness, um, for a few days and he was literally like on the verge of death as well. And so he talks about how he's not afraid to die anymore. You know, like he really is went through, went through all of that and everything like that. And he's really not afraid to die, but man, how much he loves living. And he said, it, it's kind of like he realized how this life is such a gift from our Heavenly Father. It's almost like Heavenly Father gave us this, you know, like our favorite blanket, right? And he's like, when I die, I want Heavenly Father to know that I like, I, like I used that blanket so much that there's just like threads left, you know, like that. He, that's his perspective on life. So he just wants to do everything, you know, do you remember that, Scott, how he talked about that? It was it was such a great message. And so I have to ask you, you know, having had this this near death experience, how is your outlook on living different? You know, I feel like I've experienced a lot of the things that that your guest experienced as far as living life. I've lived a really 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 great life. What I've noticed now with with my experience is that I don't think take things quite so seriously. I ache and long for that the spirit of our heavenly father to be with me and i have found that we get in our own way a lot of times it's not the lord that prevents us from feeling his presence it's us that prevents it. and mm-hmm. so i i really really hard, work hard to have that that feeling um i try to be more kind loving and patient and uh i just want to share the excitement of what we're experiencing here and what we've got to look forward to. Whether that's my, what am I to do with this or not? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out. If you have any ideas, please tell me. <laughs> so, but. Well, I think just sharing your story is probably a big part of it. Honestly, like just the fact that you're willing to open up and to let people know about your experience and, you know, just your outlook now on life and everything. I, I think that that's that. Um, deserves a lot of credit, you know? Well, thank you. Yeah, it uh, it's exciting to me. I It's exciting to me to, to know what I know now versus what it used to be a faith-based principle is now a knowledge-based principle for me, and that is that there, there is hope on the other side. And those that are past, because it just doesn't stop with what I shared with you, the, the prayers. Okay, I'm going to tell you real quickly about prayer. When I look back and had hundreds of people that were praying for me, mm-hmm. I I was so humbled by that. And then when I started regaining consciousness, I found out that my picture was in ward bulletins of wards that I didn't even know. People were calling the shop who I had never wow. met 
my name was in temples all over the, the Western United States, not just That's in amazing. Utah. The, the outpouring of love that people were sharing. And here I am, I thought I had this very, very small existence. Mm-hmm. But what kind of light, is, as you guys are trying to do, what kind of light are you putting out? You never know until that light is focused on you. And I remember clearly laying in the LTAC at times when, you know, they wouldn't come in and move me and shift me. I couldn't roll over. I couldn't adjust myself. And I I remember two different times I had laid there for um, 16 hours without being adjusted at all. And the pain was so intense from not being able Mm -hmm. to move. And guys, I literally felt the power of those prayers hands underneath me, lifting me off the mattress and offering offering me relief from that pain that I was experiencing. And I have to guess that it was probably those people who were praying for me to come back. I don't know, but I have to think that that's what it was. I love that. I really, really do. Because you just, you don't know sometimes, like you don't know how powerful something as simple as just a quick prayer or even a, or even a positive thought towards another person, like how powerful that is. That's, ah, I love that, Jerry. That's awesome. Well, Jerry, um, is there any last thoughts or, or comments you'd like to share before we wrap things up? Real quickly, I want to share with you an experience I had when I spoke in the, the young single adults ward. Um, I, towards the end of, towards the end, I'd ask if anybody had any questions. And there was a young man that, that raised his hands in the back of the chapel. And the very first thing he said to me was, uh, I hope you're not offended by this question. And at that point, I immediately thought, oh boy, here we go. You know, I've upset the apple cart somehow. But he said to me, he says, he says, have you ever been a bishop or a stake president or a high councilman? Or anything like that, or are you just a nobody? Oh, and the power of this question made me immediately connect to this young man. And I had the blessing of feeling this overwhelming love towards him. And I was able to express to him that after what I had experienced, nobody in the eyes of God is a nobody. We are all somebody. Right. Yeah. yeah. And Our Heavenly Father loves us according to what we're able to experience, what we're able to know, and what we're able to withstand. As in the examples that I gave you of all those spiritual experiences on December 14th to all these different people, they're all very different. They're all very unique. Right. But they're all of of the same God. And that's that's the message that that I would leave if I've learned anything is that nobody's a nobody in the eyes of our Heavenly Father. Right. And isn't it unique how every one of those people that experienced something on that day felt it in it or had their own personal experience, right? Um, they were touched in their own unique way, which shows that, that God cares for each of each of us individually and we receive things the way that we need to receive it in order for it to matter to us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Oh, Jerry, Jerry, this was just such a great 
great story. I'm I'm so thankful that you 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 know you decided to listen to our little blonde tornado and <laughs> and give us your she contact didn't information. Give me <laughs> I know that's <laughs> that's great. No, story. she was wonderful. So, that's you have amazing. a lot to be proud of, Scott, with that with that one. So. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. I'm going to have to have her do more recruiting for me. There you I go. know, right? <laughs> How do you tell a tornado? No. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, yeah, wow. definitely, Jerry. We really appreciate you coming on the show and your story. Um, I know that's probably hard for you to share something so personal, but, you know, hopefully that can help touch somebody and and bring them a little bit closer to god right Mm -hmm. so we really appreciate you being willing to do that thank you yeah absolutely and for those of our listeners out there who maybe don't get the opportunity to experience our blonde tornado grace um guys be brave you know be brave reach out you know be open to sharing your story and stuff like that we would love to hear it we would love to be able to to share it on on this um podcast that we have going on. If you are interested, or if you know someone who has a great story that, um, that should definitely share, be sure to head over to latterdaylights.com. And at the bottom of the page, you can see there's like a little contact form you can fill out um, that or you can reach out to us on Facebook. We're at Latterday Lights. We have a business page up there and stuff like that, too. So we would we would love to be able to hear more stories like Jerry's and and to hear more messages that we can uh, help get out there to the world just to spread a little bit of light. Definitely. And don't forget, you know, one of the ways we can share this is by doing five seconds of missionary work. That's what we call it. Um, Go hit that share button and, you know, let's spread. That's the easiest and fastest way you can, you can share Jerry's story with your friends and family. So, you know, we encourage you to go do that and, and let's get that, let's get this out there and share some light with the world. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, with that, Jerry, thank you again for being willing to come on here and to talk to us. We're, we're so, so grateful to you and, um, and your willingness to be able to, to give us a little bit of insight into things that I think are really, really important for us to, to be building our testimonies on. So we really appreciate that. Our, great, great work. You really are. <laughs> thank you. Well, we love it. Scott and I love it. It's, it's super edifying for us, but yep. We're very, very blessed to be able to have guests like you on the show and to be able to have listeners um, out there who are, are willing to be a part of this. So thank you guys. Thank you all. We really appreciate it. All right. Well, that's all we have for today. Uh, Make sure you guys tune in next week. We'll have another great story to share here on Latter-day Lights. We'll talk to you later. Awesome. See ya. Bye.